Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's heart rejected time and time again. God sent his son, he crucified him. And his son says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is the heart of the Lord. Notice the intensity of it. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Your House is Being Left to You Desolate. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. These were religious leaders that Jesus is indicting. And his final uh, statement before we get, I should say, the one we looked at last week and the several we looked at last week, the propensity to clean our act up outwardly, religion does that. You change your do's and don'ts, and you change your lifestyle outwardly, and uh, it can look pretty good. But inwardly, if there's no change, then we're still dead. That's what the Scripture says. We're dead uh, spiritually. No wonder Jesus said, you must be born again. Uh He stated that in the strongest possible terms in the first century, and it's still true in the 21st century. If you're just new to Christianity, welcome. I'm glad you're here. There's a great place to look into it. And I I will tell you, Christianity is not a a self-improvement plan where you clean the outside up. Christianity begins at the inside, the core, when you admit your sin and come to Jesus Christ, and he causes a new birth from the inside out. Well, Jesus is indicting. And he, we saw where he left off with that picturesque but indicting picture of a tomb that looks pretty good on the outside, but inside is full of death. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we'd been living in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets." Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? This is... uh, I don't have to say it, do I? Jesus' words are strong. Uh, You might have him characterized as one who never never said anything edgy, but that's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. He, He is indicting them, and this is his eighth and final. Now, Israel was a nation that loved its history. I mean, I think all nations probably love their history a bit, but man, Israel, Jews, they love to recount And they love to glory in the history of their nation. When Stephen stands up 
I, I, sp- I spoke earlier this, this summer at a conference for a whole week on Stephen and his message to Israel later would later historically, when you get to Acts chapter 7, Stephen stood up and spoke to Israel again. And he spent most of his message exploring their history and showing their history. And they listened politely until he applied it to what they're doing right now in Stephen's day. And Jesus isn't waiting. He's applying it each step of the way. You hypocrites, don't you see what you're doing? But then is when they stoned Stephen. They rose up, you know, and gnashed their teeth and stopped their ears and rushed him and stoned him. Well, Jesus is pointing out their history, and he says, you guys build tombs to the prophets and monuments and adorn the monuments of the righteous. Uh, I imagine you could go around town and see tombs to David and... Abraham and Moses monuments and, you know, and I'll bet, you know, and these guys we've already seen, these religious leaders were good politicians, you know, and so it was popular to probably give dedicatory speeches when they were dedicating the tomb of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they love to hear that sort of thing. And he says, you do that, but uh, actually, notice he says, You say, if we'd been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. But their history was a a history of what? Killing good men. Jesus had already indicted them in the story of the vineyard. He sent servants, God did to them, and they would kill them or reject them or persecute them. And he said, that's what your fathers did. You guys like to build tombs to them, but you really don't believe what they said. You know, if I were to bring it to today's world, you know, the politicians, sometimes politicians who really want, you know, and I guess you could almost divide politicians into two camps. I don't know if we could or not, but those who believe in big government and those who don't, you know, and say, and Thomas Jefferson, for instance, he, he's back there far enough. He said the least governed are the best governed. And that was basically his premise. And yet I've heard big government types quote Jefferson. And on the other side of that coin, Franklin Roosevelt, FDR, uh, was a big government guy. And he expanded the government in a huge way. And I've heard moderns who don't believe in that quote FDR. You know? And you say, why do they do that? Well, because they're trying to woo the constituencies. And right now, it's popular to not quote any of those old guys because we're looking at their flaws. But I'm telling you that Jesus is just calling out what they were doing. You put it in religious terms, I know men who will quote Luther, but they don't stand for what Luther said. Luther called the church back to what? The Scripture. Sola Scriptura. And yet many who quote Luther or Calvin, or you could go on and on with that illustration, and Jesus calls them out on it. They were leaders in building the tombs and the monuments, but he said, you guys, uh, if you, and you say if we'd have been living back then, we wouldn't have killed them, but you really can't, you have to admit the martyrdom, verse 30. And verse 31, Jesus' indictment, consequently, you bear witness against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. 
Wow. By the way, let me just stop there and say, hence the folly of claiming physical lineage making you right with God, which a lot of the Jews did. I'm a Jew. I was, my mom's a Jew. My dad's a Jew. I'm, I'm one of God's chosen people. And he said, no. And in fact, the book of Romans, Paul spends an extended part of chapter 2 showing that it had nothing to do with being a physical, born into the right tribe and stuff. That didn't make you right with God. So if you say, well, physically, we're children of, Jesus would say, yeah, you're children of the ones who killed the prophets. If you say, well, no, my spiritual, it's my spiritual lineage, well, these guys right now, these Pharisees and scribes, these hypocrites, were planning to kill the prophet, the son of God. John chapter 8, he said, why are you seeking to kill me? And he'd been saying that right along. So that's where it's going. But he says, verse 32, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Boy, that is a sobering principle of Scripture. And we're going to see Jesus' heart toward nations and towards individuals. And in both cases, the Bible records, when he wept, he wept over personal situation at G at Lazarus tomb he wept with those who were weeping and when he looked at the city when he came into town uh, and saw Jerusalem he wept over the nation over Jerusalem now um, he says fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers Israel's cup you might say of iniquity was becoming full and he said, fill it up. You're filling it up. You've been doing this. He's indicted them eight times, and they're filling up their iniquity. You say, what, is it? what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, God is patient with nations. History unfolds, and they get away with sin, it seems like, forever. Because our lifespans are short enough that we can think, hey, it's always been this way. But the cup of iniquity of a nation is filling and when it becomes full, God brings judgment. And you say, well, does the Bible really say that? Yeah, when he picked out Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And the gospel is explained beforehand in Genesis 15 when he said, Abraham believed God and he was reckoned righteous. And the New Testament picks up on that in Genesis 15. But right there in Genesis 15, it says, but you know, your children and their children your lineage is going to be oppressed for 400 years, he promised, down in Egypt. Because, and I read it now, Genesis 15, 16, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. God was going to use Israel to clean out the awful sin that was going on in what we call Palestine, this little piece of land at the west end of, or the east end of the Mediterranean. And he said, the, the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. But when it was, God told Joshua as they went back into the land to clean it out. Now I say that because it's sobering to think about our own nation. 
It's sobering to think about the way history unfolds. And just because God's judgment hasn't fallen or we haven't been conquered by war or famine or pestilence, uh, God has ways of bringing judgment on sin, and he states that regularly. And so he says, now, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. Uh, history was repeating itself. You guys have been killing the prophets, and now you're going to kill me. History was repeating itself, but infinitely worse. They weren't just rejecting the Lord's messengers and prophets. They were rejecting his son. Now, we saw that if you were with us. Jesus already explained that in the parable of the vineyards just a chapter earlier, but they did it knowingly. And so when he told that story, they knew he was speaking of them. It wasn't a casual thing. It was a knowing rejection of the Son of God. No wonder Jesus says, verse 33, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men, scribes. Some of them you'll kill and crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. He says, you brood of vipers. And then he says, therefore, look at verse 34. It almost sounds as if he's speaking of the Old Testament again, but he uses future tense or present tense. He says, I'm sending you. And I think it probably refers to what was going to happen after Jesus died and rose again. When Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem, he offered them repentance nationally. They could have turned back and repented. And the first few chapters of Acts, you see it. But you see also, verse 34, that they didn't. They killed some, they scourged others, they crucified others. And so when Stephen spoke, they ended up stoning him. When uh, they found out that the gospel was starting to spread, they killed James in chapter 12 of Acts. Later, Peter was crucified, we're told, upside down by church history. But Jesus had predicted that's how you'll die. They'll take you where you don't want to go. Paul was hounded and, and harassed from city to city, just like it says here, persecuted from city to city all through the book of Acts. Israel pursued the gospel in a persecuting way. Well, upon you may fall, verse 35, the guilt of the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel. He goes way back, far beyond Abraham, right back to the beginning, when Cain killed Abel, all the way to Zechariah being killed. In the, that's an Old Testament scene at the end of the Old Testament. And you go, wow. When mankind killed Jesus, we show ourselves guilty of all this sin. And it's a very sobering thing. And the Bible teaches this. Now, is it over for Israel? No. No, God still in grace reaches out to Israel. And in fact, the New Testament says they're going to come to their senses. 
so notice the text goes right on, and Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's heart rejected time and time again. God sent his son. He crucified him. And his son says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is the heart of the Lord. Notice the intensity of it. Whenever you read in the Bible, Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, Saul, Saul, when, when there's that repetitive nature, you can hear the intensity, and it's by design. He doesn't just say, oh, Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And, of course, he's speaking of the whole nation. How often, he says, I would have wanted to gather your children together. My arms are wide open. His heart, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. How often I would have gathered your, your people like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. Israel's heart, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. He's already rehearsed that. And he says, so you see God's heart toward Israel. And by the way, God's heart toward sinners, because God's character doesn't change. His heart today to those of us who've spurned him time after time and blasphemed him and turned his grace down, today he's got his arms open. And he says, how often I would have gathered you. But Israel was unwilling. How many people in Portland just spit at him, you know, just, and you, and don't want to hear. Maybe you, maybe you've been caught up in a rejection of him. I tell you, his heart toward you is a tender heart indeed. How often I would have, but you were unwilling. And I got to say, the chapter ends, notice, look at the uh, passage. It's a, in unbelief, obstinate unbelief has very awful consequences. Behold, your house, verse 38, is being left to you desolate. What's going to happen to Israel? Speaking in the first century, after they crucify Jesus, within a generation, the Romans come in and destroy the city. Tear it down stone from stone. When the disciples were excited, we're going to see it next chapter about the temple. He said, you see these great stones? They're going to be torn down. They're going to be torn down. And the Romans came in in A.D. 70, and there was terrific judgment. And what's happened throughout the age? 
awful suffering for Israel, the very thing God promised, all the way up through World War II and right into today, when increasingly anti-Semitism is rearing its ugly head and millions of people hate Israel. Oh, it's a sobering thing when he says, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, look at the last verse, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Bible teaches that Israel's rejection of the Savior will lead to this kind of tribulation all the way through to the great tribulation. When Jeremiah says, alas, alas, the day is great. There's none like it. It's the time of Israel's distress, Jacob's distress. But he'll be saved from it. I'm quoting Jeremiah 30, verse 7. And God will, by his grace, open Israeli eyes in the final days, and they will look upon him whom they've pierced. Zechariah 12.10. So Jesus summarizes all this, and he says, you know, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The book of Hosea puts it this way, chapter 5, verse 15. I will go away and return to my place until... They acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And I speaking of Israel. Jesus is speaking of Israel. But I want to apply it much further, and the Bible does apply it. You really won't see the Lord until you turn to him. And until you turn to him, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I got to tell you, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So when a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, no matter how much we've sinned or haven't sinned, no matter how much our outward package might look good, when we admit that our inner need is real, that we're dead in our sins, and we turn to him and we say, we could read, read verse 39, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When we cry out to him and say, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior, he never turns a sinner down. His arms are open today if you cry out to him. Now, it's going to be that when they cry out to him, there will be the real triumphal entry. They'd cried out those very words. They didn't mean them when he came into town just a week earlier. But there's coming a day when they will cry it out. And there will be the triumphal entry when Jesus Christ returns. Now, that's a sweep of history. I got, thir- I got 60 seconds left, so I'll use them. Let this sink into you and me. Don't think you can make yourself right with God by outward reformation. You've got to be born again. And God sent his son, and the awful nature of it is that man crucified his son. My sin put Christ on the cross but he's hung there and said Father forgive them this is our God he has this kind of heart you've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist please stay with us Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast Today's program was titled, Your House is Being Left to You Desolate, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. When they ask him about his return in the end of the age, what will be the sign? He says, see to it that no one misleads you. I take it. We're quite misleadable. <laughs> when Jesus warns about being misled, the first thing he says, uh, deception is very real in our world, particularly about what really counts. Man, if you interviewed the first 20 people out here on Broadway about what really is important in life, you'd get a lot of answers that are deceptively crafted by someone other than the one who really knows what life is all about, okay? So he says, don't be misled. But then he goes and gives some of the uh, signs of the time, you might say, and he says, he, and we're gonna look at him in just a second, but he calls them birth pangs. He compares them to birth pangs. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Beginning of Birth Pangs. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.